Finally, after a year of hell, we have cast Sasha Baron Cohen out of our lives, Ryan. Who? And we are, and we are spending. Who? I don't. I. I've. I've never. I. I don't know. Just. It's just. This a is. Name. Yeah. Th- this is our. This is our first episode. I yeah, don't know who that is man our first, is. This is our first episode, and we are spending the holidays here on subsequent movie podcast which is an an interesting name considering this is our first ever episode yeah uh, we're spending spending the holidays with uncle paul and aunt mila uh, <laughs> yeah. we, uh-huh. we just watched the greatest movie that we have watched yet on this podcast because it's the only movie we've watched on this podcast um resident evil from 2002 uh what what a film what if what if what a franchise right so we we i i think that we've basically between the two of us wanted to do a podcast about these movies longer than we had been doing the podcast about about the 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 man who shall not be named right yes, like yes. like like we've wanted to do this for a long time and so yeah. uh it's finally here we we finally done it and i am it, it is such a novel incredible wonderful feeling to watch a movie once a week that does not make me feel like i want to kill myself i will (laughs) just say that right off the bat yeah really great really lovely to do that and then sit down and get to talk about something that we actually actually enjoyed quite a bit you know yeah there was just such a good vibe this time around like i was like in tears laughing before the first five minutes had even passed like this this I, I I think we'll probably kind of want to start this episode by laying some groundwork because sure. we are doing all six of these movies, and I think it's important to have a little bit of context as to like what's going on here, you know, and that kind of how okay. we're watching them. But um, just just like right off the bat, as this movie starts with the with a lot of exposition, then kind of the world's longest zoom. <laughs> Yeah, the worst zoom in cinema history. Uh, it's it's really something. I'm I'm so jazzed to talk about this. But um, before we do that, Niall, do you want to hit us with the uh, three sentence summary of this uh this first Resident Evil film here? Oh God! All right, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, there is a corporation called Umbrella. Uh, which is uh, experimenting on some bullshit, uh, a virus that gets loose. Uh, after the virus gets loose, Mila Jovovich wakes up in a mansion and is attacked by a bunch of goons who take her underground into a fortress in which uh, the labs are. And then they got to try and get the virus situation sorted out, basically, as zombies walk around i guess that's ostensibly <laughs> that's ostensibly that's ostensibly the plot and i think it, it touches on a few of the things that i kind of wanted to talk about mm-hmm. right off the bat here sure. um so, so so this is resident evil 
it is allegedly based on the Capcom video game franchise, and you and I are both fans of that, yes, right? Yeah, I, I am. I haven't played all of them. I've played one, two, three, four, and seven. I, I I love those games. I think they're great. But um, this this movie for anyone who hasn't seen these films, anyone who is unfamiliar, first of all, consider yourself lucky to to view these with fresh eyes for the first time. Yeah, God. These these films have nothing to do with the games whatsoever. I would say no. they um they they take a lot of inspiration in terms of like character names, uh, major locations, various like loose plot beats here and there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think ostensibly you could argue that this first film, Resident Evil, is kind of a prequel to the first game in some ways, right? Like like right. Uh, and well not not exactly, but Anderson, Paul W. S. Anderson, the director for four of the six writer for all and producer for all has gone on record saying that he originally intended this film to be a prequel to the events of the first game. And, um, you can kind of, you can, you can kind of see that idea a little bit. Yeah, you can like the, the legend is that he like played the first three games, like all at once basically. And Mm -hmm. like came away from them, obsessed with them and wanting to refashion them for the, for the screen. Yeah. Um, this this first one, yeah, it does feel kind of like a prequel. The the second movie, which we'll get to next week, Apocalypse, is sort of, I would say, the closest to any of the games. It's sort of a mishmash of two and three. It's 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 like it's like somebody wrote a like live journal fanfic character insert version of resident evil 3 but we'll get to that next week but yeah this, sure these first two are essentially the ones that have some sort of grounding in the games other than like here's a person in a costume that's kind yeah. of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah not to spoil anything later on but we'll, we'll 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 get to that there are um i think having played the games enhances your appreciation of the films yeah not because the films pay homage but because they pay homage so poorly that it's really really funny to see what they think will pass as like these these characters you know um and i think that's kind of the first big important thing going into this six film franchise to keep in mind is that it, it is resident evil in name alone there 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 are characters with the same names and there are zombies but the similarities essentially stop there and um i think that's kind of the first big thing i want to talk about this is something i almost brought up during the movie is that these these films this first film i would define as science fiction action right It, Mm -hmm. it, it could ostensibly be considered a horror film but it's not very scary aside from like some very lame jump scares here and there. And I think right. that's um, kind of the, the, the second thing I want to get to is that these films, the fact that they are zombie films, that they are about a global pandemic that creates zombies is completely secondary, like, like totally, totally unremarkable yeah. in terms of the grand scale of what these films become, right? Because this first one starts out, and it is a zombie movie, right? There, There's the facility, there's zombies that escape. It's very indebted to George Romero, I think, especially Day of the Dead. But um, yeah, Which it straight it, up rips off a few times. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, there are... 
there are several shots and sequences that directly rip Day of the Dead in this, but um, it, it, it's one of those things where Anderson seems to have watched Romero but not really taken anything from it. Like, he's not making any big societal statement with these zombies like he's not saying anything about the state of things he's not saying oh oh consumerism i mean there's a very minor anti-corporate message in this film that that is just completely unimportant you know like it's there but it's kind of for granted but what i'm getting at is that these films are zombie films only because zombies are the easiest thing to watch Mila Jovovich kick the shit out of, right? Like, like they're just cannon fodder. Yeah, and and really by, like, the time we get to the second half of the series, the zombies are really little more than sort of window dressing for this weird, like, saga (laughs) that this becomes, like... (laughs) If you... Okay, okay, if you are listening and you don't know anything about these movies and you you somehow have tuned into this feed, uh, you're listening to this for the first time, this is the first thing you've ever heard about the Resident Evil film franchise, and you're wondering, why are these people talking about this? Why, why is this so important to them? Let me just tell you, this shit goes so off the rails in the span of six movies. Like, yeah. it, like... <laughs> You could you could <laughs> you could argue that the first two movies are Paul W S Anderson trying to make like you know Resident Evil adaptations, right? Yes. But by the time but by the time Apocalypse, uh, not Apocalypse, uh, Extinction, the third one rolls around, and especially Afterlife and Retribution, God's perfect films, the two best movies ever made. <laughs> he he just like. And I think that's what's so appealing about this franchise, right? Is the dude just completely hijacks these movies to tell this crazy story about like surveillance and like clones and 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 latex cat suits and yeah. alternate reality. Like it just goes. I don't want to spoil too much, but 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 rest assured, it goes completely off the rails. It is it is. It's it's astounding. This franchise is astounding, and that's kind of what I want to talk about up here at the front. Is that um, these films are are not particularly well made. I mean, they're competent enough, right? They're they're basically B movie like action, yeah. you know, theater schlock. But they're very ambitious in this weird way. After a point, he has this very defined story he wants to tell at some points but then there's no continuity between the movies at all so it does it's it's impossible to explain right it really like over like the best way of of sort of describing them is that it's like he has tapped into the 14 15 year old boy that lives right. in the in the back of his mind and like is just letting that kid write things according to whim and according to what he thinks is cool, like characters, story points, like settings, all of it is changeable. All of it is fluid. All of it like doesn't matter because it drops on a dime whenever he feels like it because he has something in his mind that he thinks is cool now. Like you can, you can really see sort of the progression as these go of like what paul ws anderson thinks is cool uh you know like and of course like with that you also get like 
he met Mila Jovovich on on the set of this first movie. They got married. They have been together since. And like it, you see the sort of relationship grow in a weird way like over yeah. over this it it becomes like this sort of weird like <laughs> power couple statement it like, is of like it we're really gonna is. hijack yeah. this major franchise and we're gonna just turn it into our shit where we're gonna indulge in what the two of us like which really yeah. like uh, th- it's in the first movie for sure but like as it goes like it's it gets more and more sort of fetishy in a lot of ways as well (laughs) it gets progressively like he is really like indulging himself and his most base desires and i think the way that that all translates into the action and the costuming and the characters and the set design and everything like it it's it's weird because it's it's the most artless series of movies in the world that somehow loops back around to being like incredibly cohesive. Like, like by the time retribution rolls around, like I I won't spoil anything about retribution more than what we've said about on here already. Right. Because that is a movie that if you're listening to this and you have not seen retribution, I want you to go into that as, as you know, clean as possible. Like just knowing nothing about it, but by the time Retribution rolls around, the man has really mastered the art of, like, mid-grade 3D HDR cinema slop, right? Yes. Like, Retribution is the pinnacle of that, I think. And um, it really comes back around from, like, like you said, being being this kind of artless franchise, being, you know, and I don't want to say that's a bad thing because... Um, you, you you sent me a quote over Discord, uh, I guess from his Wikipedia page, that says he considers himself, quote, a populist filmmaker who only cares about whether his movies entertain the audience and make them cheer in the cinema rather than their reception by professional critics, right? right. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a very good way to put it, because these movies are extremely entertaining uh, for the most part. There's yeah. a few missteps here and there, but they're a lot of fun to watch. But, um... They loop around from being these very, like, ostensibly cut-and-dry, like, Matrix-inspired zombie action movies into being this franchise where all of the decisions made are so baffling and just so compelling that it's like catnip. Like, you just can't help but sit here and try to pick apart what was going through this man's brain when they made these. And it turns out the answer is usually because he thinks it looks cool. Like, yeah, that's pretty like, much God, it. God bless, honestly. You know, I, I don't want to say they're bad movies because there's a lot that is very incompetent in them here and there. Yes. But they, it, it, for if you are going to sit down and say that the objective of these films, right, as a package, as an experience, is to be entertaining... He he definitely sticks it right. Like yeah, these these totally. are his these movies are hysterical, dude. <laughs> they really are. Like I I I always come back to when I think about him as a director and his mentality. I always think about the first time I watched the one of two directors commentaries that's on the Blu-ray for Retribution, uh-huh. um, where there's a moment where somebody shoots through a window and it doesn't break. And Mila Jovovich, who was on the track with him, points it out to him and he just says, oh, I didn't even notice that. You're paying more attention than I ever did. Like, I feel like that just sums his attitude towards these movies up like in 
the perfect way. Um, yeah. You know, like it, it's such an insight into his psyche of just like, I don't care. I do what I want. Like, it's just yeah. like, it's great. It, like, it's great. I, I, I really do respect it. Um, But the first, before we get to the truly unhinged uh, installments in this franchise, we have Resident Evil 2002. Yes. I, I, I think that, um, we talk a lot on this this podcast about like this movie or these movies and like underworld and that sort of style of filmmaking and the thing you've got to know right off the bat right off the bat with this movie is that the matrix did incalculable amounts of damage to cinema as an art form <laughs> yes, right it did. It because did. this movie this movie is basically Paul W S Anderson sitting down watching the matrix watching day of the dead playing resident evil and just putting it all into this big yeah uh, melting pot of red dresses combat boots and marilyn manson <laughs> yeah yeah Mar- marilyn manson uh did the majority of the soundtrack for this movie uh yeah. but it also features such luminaries as i believe typo negative i think slipknot do the ending theme mm-hmm. slipknot like, yeah just it, 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 there is a lot of just like knockoff nine inch nails on this. I mean, knowing that Marilyn Manson did a lot of this soundtrack, and Trent Reznor may have had his hands on this at some point. Like, yeah, who you knows? know, may may have touched it, may may have given some pointers uh, along the way. Like this is sonically a nuts movie. <laughs> like it is. It's a real. It's a. I would describe this as like a hot topic movie, right? Totally, it totally. is. Um, the, the the target demographic for this in 2002 would have been the kind of mall goths who listened to, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it kind of rules. Like, all the other movies have their own sort of distinct visuals to them, for better or worse. But this first Resident Evil movie feels like a real sort of early 2000s, late 90s cultural artifact. Yes. Like, it, 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 this movie could not have been made at any other time right like there's the weird green and blue color grading like in a matrix movie there's all the uh you know completely random slow motion shots of guns being fired that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um there's of course a recurring visual motif in this franchise which is a bullet flying out of a gun in slow motion as the camera does like a 360 matrix matrix revolve around the bullet which is just just incredible like just really impeccable filmmaking um that's uh that's kind of the last thing i want to go through before we get into like the beat kind of kind of uh you know talking more about this movie is there are a lot of visual motifs that he uses in yes, these films, right? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the slow motion bullet cam is one of them. Uh, one we get really early on is like shots from surveillance cameras or shots from computer monitors and that sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of, I, I guess, I don't know if it's him trying to commentate on sort of a surveillance and like the surveillance state or if it's just him being lazy because these shots are always sort of accompanied by like a shitload of visual text on the screen as well. Like um, early on there's, there's a scene where people are being sort of, sort of killed in this facility and the camera turns on and it has a, a a mortality decreasing meter, (laughs) like a percentage point on it. Yeah. 
Um, showing like so, how many people are dead or whatever in there. Yeah, yeah. So so a lot of that in those movies, um, a lot of focus on eyes. Like almost all of these movies start with the camera focused on Alice's eye. Yeah. Uh, kind of kind of like the beginning of Blade Runner. And of course, uh, my personal favorite, which gets thrown around in basically every movie, is the uh, 3D wireframe rendered map of whatever location the characters are in at any given time. Yeah, and there is a lot of that in this fucking movie. Like, yeah. the, the entire movement of the characters through these through most of these movies, except for maybe Extinction, um, uh-huh. like is basically predicated on you watching them move through these like 3d maps yes yeah Uh, watching 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 the 3d maps or watching somebody watch them on a security camera yeah and and like this is definitely a problem that i really notice in this movie but like it, it definitely comes through the rest of them as well but the sense of space and like how things relate to each other is so poor in the way it's shot that you are entirely reliant on these just 3d maps to like figure out some form of like idea as to where everybody actually is in relation to each other at any given time (laughs) which is just great You pointed this out really early on. I would say this is maybe, like a realistic estimate, maybe the fifth or sixth time I'm watching this film. Probably probably fifth. Um, you pointed out that it is impossible to grok how many characters are in this film because there's never there's never an establishing shot right like like we start the movie there's exposition alice wakes up in the mansion she has memory loss from memory loss gas or whatever uh she meets one of the main characters and then immediately uh, they're in this like I think you described it as like a California governor's mansion. Yeah. Uh, they're 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 she and this dude, uh, this this real schmutz, are, are are fucking around this mansion, and immediately all these characters in like the umbrella tactical suits with like gas masks just like come in through the windows, right, and immediately accost them. And that's how they establish the cast of this film. There's no establishing shot. You don't get, like, a beat-by-beat introduction of all the different characters. Right. Their names only come up as they're needed. I think, like, 75% of the characters in this movie aren't even named, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, like, w- like one character is just named Medic, because she's the Medic. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, like, the, oh, like, of the six or seven of these goons that come in like the only two that get any kind of establishment early on are the two who are played by recognizable actors one of them is colin salmon uh who is in like fucking everything he's like if you need a british person to be in a movie it's it's him and the other is michelle rodriguez Um, Mm, fucking michelle michelle rodriguez Rodriguez, fresh out of fast Mm, and the mm, furious mm. yeah she she is in this movie for sure yeah, and like you know, like none of them are visually distinct because they they're all wearing the same uniform. They're all wearing these like gas masks, masks, and they come in, and those are the two who unmask and like get the unmasking that you're supposed to be like, oh shit, it's that person. Whereas yeah. the like sort of rest of them, the four or five others, are just kind of standing around, and you like you said, you like you never get a shot which establishes precisely how many of them there are sometimes there's more of them sometimes there's less of them like it never yeah. feels like you have a good well it doesn't it doesn't help because um because what happens is they go down 
and they go into the underground facility, right? Like, like the plot of this film, just, just to kick it off really quick is that there's, there's an outbreak in the hive, right? Like, um, the, the beginning, the beginning shot, like I said, the world's longest zoom. It is like this shot just makes me lose my shit every time I watch this movie, because how this movie begins for those of you who haven't seen it, is that there's a shot of a man in a hazmat suit, like retrieving test tubes out of a test chamber, but it starts out like half an inch tall and it just like progressively yeah. zooms more and more in. It takes like fully like 45 seconds for it to fill the entire screen. It yeah. is, it's just incredible filmmaking. Like, I, I don't know what he was thinking. I think there's a lot of, um, Obviously, thematically, there's a lot of Alice in Wonderland references in this movie, yeah, right? They, they 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 test the uh, they test the serum on the white rabbit. She's Alice. When she wakes up, there's there's a chessboard in the bathroom, like like the tiles on the floor are a chessboard, and the um, the evil artificial intelligence is the Red Queen. Yeah. So I guess you could argue that maybe the the zoom in is like going down the rabbit hole or whatever. But I think that's I think that's kind of bullshit. Um, I I think that's maybe what he kind of intended for it to yeah. be. But it's just it's yeah. just so funny because it's just like the head of a pin expanding <laughs> to fill the entire screen. It is. It, it's an early contender for I think one of the top five funniest moments in this entire franchise. Absolutely, like just like totally. just right off the bat. Uh, so they're in this kind of like matrixy uh, office building, and then the virus breaks out because a dude like threw the test tube in an intentional act of sabotage. Everyone in the uh, facility thinks it's a fire drill. They get locked behind the door. Uh, the Red Queen kills everyone because she doesn't want the virus to escape. And we get kind of like a um, final destination type scene where these people are stuck in the elevator and uh, one of them gets caught in the doors and I guess decapitated. Uh, it, it's kind of implied. Yeah, they, they, they're they like in the elevator and it stalls as like the Red Queen. She's trying to like everybody. crawl out. Yeah, yeah. She's, she like pulls it open. As, she's trying to like crawl out, but it's like too high for her to crawl out and she gets stuck and then it just yeah it, it kicks into gear and decapitates her basically so yeah and then we get we get a hard cut to uh alice right it's like yeah. her eyeball it, it's black and then it's her eyeball and uh that's where we kind of pick up where we are she's she's in this mansion she has amnesia uh she tries to figure out if she wrote a note by copying her handwriting like like, like she sees this handwriting on this note and she copies the text which i think is kind of like the first real stupid brilliant moment in these movies where yeah. you watch it and you're like, this is so dumb, but then you're like, actually, you know, <laughs> like what you would know, you do in that situation? Yeah, that, that's not the worst idea. Like if you don't know where you are, if you wake up naked on the floor of a chessboard bathroom, like, yeah, you know, you might as well see if that's your handwriting. Like, you know, yeah. if you don't even know that. And so she's rummaging through like just the drawers in this master bedroom and just pulls one out. And it's just, like a bunch <laughs> yeah. of guns with like a glass screen over it that just says locked on it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's straight out man, of a video game. Like, really something our man loves to do in these films as well is just writing out the information on the screen yes. uh, and, and just telling you exactly what's happening at any given moment. Uh, so we, we, we catch back up. She's, she's in the house. Uh, there's, there's the dude who is a, allegedly in the police department in, in Raccoon City, I suppose. Then we get everyone busting in, Hannibal busting through. They come through the windows. And I think that's kind of the first moment that really tells you what this franchise is going to be like. 
where you get this this ostensibly moody sequence of her walking through the mansion. It's very windy. It's not scary at all, but it, it, it's got this kind of vibe. And then immediately, like, fucking Marilyn Manson butt rock starts playing as these yeah. dudes just smash through the window and completely destroy the atmosphere. And um, I feel like that's kind of his David Lynch smashing the TV at the beginning of Firewalk With Me moment yeah. in this film, is 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 building up this gothic ambiance and then just having these dudes break through. Um, so, so they go down... It turns out that that Mila is the uh, the she's like, like the head of security or yeah. something, right? Yeah, yeah. So so as she's like walking around before they bust in, she's like picking up these pictures of her with her supposed husband or whatever, and so it's explained to her that her and this supposed husband are the like security officers guarding the entrance to the hive, which the mansion is a cover for, basically. Yeah, um, and so they go to where the monorail station is in the mansion because, of course, um, and they start just going down towards the hive. At some point, Michelle Rodriguez is trying to get some door in the cable car open, and then it opens and some dude just falls in. Uh, yeah, a who... lot of like fake out jump scares at, yeah, at the beginning of this movie. There is, and so this dude is. We find out her husband. Um, who isn't really her husband, and he also has amnesia, and he doesn't remember who he is or why he's there or how he got into this cable car somehow. It's not. It's not really clear how he's like at the cable car to begin with, but it doesn't really matter. No, no. I, I think it's implied that he like crawled through the vents or something. Yeah. Like oh, that, it is but... because Michelle Rodriguez is like trying to start the cable car, and she like sees a hole, like in a mesh like great or something that I yeah. guess he's supposed to have climbed but, but, through. But no, but then later you actually do see him just walk out onto the onto the subway platform, right? Like um Yeah. Because it's uh, skipping ahead a bit, it's revealed that this dude released the virus because anti corporation reasons or something. He wants to make money off of it, I guess, like steal it. Yeah, but, there's um, a there's a whole thing about like Mila is trying to sell one of the office workers who we see die at the beginning, uh, like Umbrella's secrets so that she can take Umbrella down somehow. I guess, yeah, I guess the, the implication is that like the other dude, the cop guy is her brother is the like office worker's brother. And she's trying to get it to him somehow or something it's 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 very it's, it's all yeah the, the the plot of all six of these movies is total nonsense right but like yeah. the plot of these first two films is nonsense in that it tries to be a real plot and it's just very hard to follow like three four five and six extinction afterlife retribution and final chapter the plot is like just straight nonsense like none of it makes any sense and it doesn't matter at all it, it's completely auxiliary to what's happening on the screen Right. In this one, in Apocalypse, they really try to thread you along with this kind of anti-umbrella corporate espionage narrative, and it never really works, but it also <laughs> never really matters because it doesn't take up that much of the film. No, and yeah. it doesn't. It, it it really like yeah. The there there is really like a seed here of him trying to say something, and he as we'll see as we go through these, he has a tendency to really just forget 
or ignore <laughs> plot points as 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 is convenient. Yeah, so really, it doesn't matter what the what the motivation for any of it is. <laughs> no, no, not at all. The motivation doesn't matter because hey, we get down into the facility. They're going to blow up the Red Queen because she killed everyone, and we get probably the most iconic scene from. Well, not for us, right? Because we were no. brain poisoned and we've seen these movies so many times. But like anyone who just watched these movies in the theater or like watched these movies on cable or whatever, they know this scene. It is the scene where they go into the Red Queen's uh, control facility and there is a, a laser grid hallway. Yeah. And so the leader of the of the goons, Colin Salmon, he's taking this through and then he calls in the medic and a couple of the no-name dudes to bring this like emp charge or whatever it is into yeah. the into the room and so they're going down the hallway the doors on either end shut and the the lasers start happening and uh so boy do they comes, happen a laser, a laser comes at them the first three dudes duck uh, but one of them gets his fingers chopped off and he's like going into shock and Colin Salmon is like screaming at the medic. He's like, medic, help, help. And you just like see her for some reason turn towards the camera <laughs> and then her head just like slides off her body. Yeah. Uh, like it's like the middle of her head, like hamburgers. Oh no, no, it's no, it's at her no, neck. It's at her neck. It's, yeah. it's at her neck. Yeah. Um, and then another one comes where I guess the guy who went into shock is just dead. So there's two of them left. Yeah, they never really address that again. They they don't. They never address that again. Um, so there's two of them left. The the laser is coming low, so the guy tries to jump it, but at the last second, the laser goes high and it cuts him in half, and he dies. And so now we've we've just got Colin Salmon left, and one one of the like tech dude is outside with Mila and like a couple of the other people. A bunch of them, Michelle Rodriguez and like two or three others, are just nowhere to be found at this point. Um, they're in the um, they're in the big room with the uh, cryo chambers. Yeah. Her and the other guy and the uh, the dork, the dork that is the police yeah. officer, are all in this room where there's like these Silent Hill nine inch nails kind of egg carton metal boxes with tubes coming out of them, uh, just just kind of hanging out, I guess. Right. So the tech guy is trying to like figure out the password to stop the laser hallway or whatever. And his thing is that he's uh, extremely anxious and cowardly. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of really bad line deliveries here between him and Mila. Uh, really, this whole movie, like some that, astounding... Yeah. I, I want to talk about that, is that all of these movies are, are have their own special kind of moments of, of poor filmmaking, I would say. It is astounding to me how consistently bad all of the line reads in this film are. I I, um, I, I tend to just kind of gloss over this movie when I watch all of these, to be honest. Mm, like, it's, yeah. it, it's entertaining enough, but it's not really as fun as the other ones are. But even, even Mila, who kind of carries these movies as they go on, like, she is bona fide, like, the heart of these films, right? Totally. Even... Even in this film, her performance is bad. <laughs> like yeah. it is, a, it is a pretty bad performance from her. And um, everyone else in this sounds like they did most of their lines in a single take. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, the the Colin Salmon is there, and he's like, "Please help, 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 help," or whatever. And so this guy is like, "I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying," and he gets it at the last second. But just as he gets it, the laser 
expands into a giant grid that just like completely envelops Colin Salmon and you get this like shot that is like like half of the screen is his face as he slowly melts into like a hundred pieces while on the other half you see Mila looking through the door trying to pretend like she's getting sick um and it's 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 the iconic scene to i think most people when you talk about this franchise and it's it's so iconic they use it again in i think two other movies i think so yeah i think in final chapter and extinction maybe but yeah yes. they, they, they come back yeah. to it for sure and it's yeah it's 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 what it's what people remember you know like it's the thing people know happens in this series mm-hmm. uh, it's so... it's like it's iconic enough that they actually did put it in uh, resident evil 4 right like there's yeah. a um there's a bit near the end of that game where you're leon and you're going down this kind of hallway of red lasers and you have to do like quick time events to avoid all the different uh, laser configurations yeah yeah and so mila and the nervous dude decide they have to now go down to the red queen and set off this charge or whatever the hell it is uh the bomb that like has been completely unscathed by this laser hallway (laughs) that has chopped up these four people into pieces but you know whatever um and so they pick it up and they bring it down they activate it and then somehow them shutting the red queen down prompts the red queen to appear as a terrible cgi little girl this is this is great okay so the red queen cgi is terrible right but this is the first indication that we get of i think the larger lore of these films going forward is that i think the red queen gets like changed and retconned like two different times in in the other five films which is just really really wonderful uh the CGI on this on this girl, this little red girl, is in a movie filled with terrible CGI, just absolute dog shit. Yeah. It's so it's so bad to look at. It's, it's like they bad. it's like they made like a red wax model of this girl and just turned her head from side to side. It is yeah, it's really really rough. What do you think about uh, what do you think about the franchise's most iconic line? you're all going to die down here, which is again, something that comes up in the other films. Uh, I think it's lost all like impact on me at this point. I feel like it's, it's Um, nonsense. Yeah. Like the red queen is always portrayed as a little British girl, um, throughout these movies. (laughs) So like just hearing you're all going to die down here. Like, it's just like, yeah okay i know Mm -hmm. like i know everybody's gonna die down here just show me what's next um Mm -hmm. so they kind of like just and again this this comes back to me feeling like the sense of space is so bad because then they just like cut back to this weird room that michelle rodriguez the other dude and like just some no-name guy are just hanging out in uh-huh. With all these like weird chambers that have like, it's it says what like, environment dining stable. Hall. It's like dining hall. Oh, oh yeah. Well, the room on the map, uh, the wireframe map, yeah, is yeah. called like dining hall B or something like yes, that. That's and right. um, the the uh, the 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 cages themselves say environment stable, environment unstable, and essentially what what it is is that 
I guess these big containers have like the 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 fucked up zombies. Ooh, the weird, mm. you know, the weird bio weapon engineer kind of stuff, right? And there is a really good shot uh, I like earlier where Alice looks into one of the things, and there's like a really good practical effect of like yeah. viscera and like a brain with all these tubes coming out of it. It's really yeah. uh it's a fleeting moment, but whoever did that did a really good job. It's it's one of the rare pieces of practical effects in this entire movie. Yeah. Uh, cuz as we as we're hanging out here with these three losers, um they hear a noise, Michelle Rodriguez goes to check it out, and there's a person there and she's like, "Hey, I found a survivor." And the survivor is one of the lab scientists from the beginning who is uh-huh. now zombified bites michelle rodriguez and in one of the like biggest gaffes i think in this entire series the 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 person playing this zombie changes between the two shots coming yeah. up here <laughs> yeah yeah like it goes from a blonde woman to like a like like a woman with short black hair for, yeah like and it's it's so silly uh, but the other guy comes running after Michelle Rodriguez says she bit him. He shoots this zombie in the leg. It keeps this coming. Is, he shoots it in this the leg is, again. This is great. Like, this is this is, is really great. And again, it's like the uh, gas mask bit where you really get a sense of where this franchise is going. After they shoot this woman a couple times, uh, uh, the guy breaks out like a machine gun. And they just lay into this woman. And I yeah. think it goes into slow motion. And then she goes flying back like 50 feet from the gunfire into one of these cages. It's yeah. really uh, it's really something. Yeah, you, you, get, you get this slow motion shot of just... It's not even all of Michelle Rodriguez. It's just her hands and the gun just slowly pumping yeah. this fucking <laughs> zombie full of lead. It's unbelievable yeah uh and so mila the nervous dude and the other guy who just showed up at some point who i feel like kind of looks like paul ws anderson which uh-huh. maybe kind of telegraphs a few things uh considering he's supposed to be her husband mm-hmm. um, they show up and they're like okay we're not leaving until the rest of them come and they have to explain it and then they're like this woman here just like bit michelle rodriguez and they're like what woman and then all of a sudden there's just like 300 zombies in the yes so so for whatever reason shutting down the red queen i guess shuts off the the safety measures so all the doors open and all that and um basically from here on out the movie is kind of just like I wouldn't say incomprehensible, but just a series of scenes where they go through this facility and kind of the intrigue plot is unveiled, right? Like the anti-umbrella yes. kind of stuff, which I won't even attempt to summarize because it, it, it goes nowhere. It, it's 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 incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, but the the eventual, they, they go through everything and the eventual reveal is that uh, the dude who's the husband was selling them down the river, which I think we talked about. But I think what we yeah. really want to talk about is just kind of like beat by beat uh, the highlight scenes for the rest of this movie, which are just like mostly action sequences, right? I think. Yeah. Um, so, like in in this scene, also the cop guy, he, he's uh, he's been handcuffed for some reason during this whole thing. So, the I think Michelle Rodriguez drops the keys to the handcuffs when she's bitten. So he comes along and picks him up and he's like trying to free himself as all these zombies are coming in and you know yeah. getting overwhelmed by the zombies and so this unnamed goon uh from umbrella is like trying to open the the elevator uh he's 
demanding the code. The nervous guy can't get it out. Eventually he does, and the guy's like, see, was that so hard? He opens the elevator, and then we get one of our, like, straight-up Romero, uh, let's call him homages, like, to be kind, where he gets pulled into the elevator uh, and bitten and eaten, and yeah. they're all trying to pull him out, and Michelle Rodriguez gets bitten again. She is just getting snacked on this entire yeah, movie. Yeah, she, she gets she gets bit a lot more than I remember in this film. Yeah, like pretty much every time a zombie shows up in this fucking movie, and she's like within like a hundred feet of it, she gets bitten. Yeah, um, yeah. So they kind of split off here into two groups because Mila sort of pulls the the cop away from harm and they like somehow get separated from the goons um, and somehow in their escape from uh, Mila also gets separated from this cop dude somehow, which isn't ever clear, but it, you know, yeah, I think he just walks off. I think he just goes somewhere else. Um, Yeah. So so they all go kind of their their separate ways. Uh, this is where this movie gets a little fuzzy for me because it's not like a lot no. of these well, the next thing I was going to say that happens is the uh, the liquor escapes, right? Like the big the big yeah. brain claw monster. Uh they they rupture one of the uh, the the cages when they when they shield the zombies and then later unrelated to the cage that ruptured a second cage <laughs> ruptured and this creature this creature comes out of it and we get probably i would say some of the worst uh creature cgi on planet earth with this film watching it kick the door of this pod down and escape it like it looks like something out of the original final fantasy 7 you know it looks like claymation like like they stopped motion this thing breaking out of the cage it's very bad looking so i think from here what we get next is uh, the dogs. Um, now this Mila... this is a scene that I would like to talk about with you. Okay, please do. Niall, what do you think about the dogs? Tell me your opinions on the dogs. Uh, I love dogs. Um, I think it's extremely fucked up that they covered that one dog with tomato paste <laughs> and parchment paper, but they yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she it's goes into ludicrous-y. like, she goes into like the kennel area. Right. And there's a, there's this single dog, which is very obviously just like a Rottweiler with like a, a spirit Halloween zombie dog costume yeah. on it. Uh, and, and she, she escapes, she goes into a room as uh, she fights a zombie, she gets a gun and when she comes out, there's uh, she comes back out of the room, and there's one of the most incredible shots in this whole film, which is her walking out of this room and then looking and seeing like twelve of these zombie dogs just waiting for her. And um, this is an incredible scene. I think this is one that is very uh, emblematic of why we like these movies. She uh, she kind of takes these dogs to task. She shoots at them. She she guns them down. There is the first uh, bullet cam here. The yep. bullet falls out. The the shell, I guess, falls out of the handgun, and you see umbrella engraved on the back of it. And then, do you want to describe what is like probably the best moment in this whole film here? Yeah. So so there's one dog left, and she's out of bullets. And the dog is pretty close to her and it's like snarling and she's like, oh shit. So she turns tail and runs and 
she runs towards like a wall which she climbs up the she like the wall is like at a corner of the wall so she mm-hmm. parkours up one side of the wall walks like wall runs across to the other side hops off and roundhouse kicks this dog in the face like oh. as it's jumping at her and it's just unbelievable stuff it is incredible. It is like the biggest brain moment in this whole film. I think that's what's like really funny to me about these early movies is that they're very obviously Matrix inspired, but I don't think he really yeah. understands why the Matrix works the way it does, right? No. Like the Matrix is cool because it takes very like precise martial arts direction, right? Like it has very mm-hmm. tight action direction. And I, I guess Paul just kind of looked at that and was like, fuck, what if we just had someone do a cool spin kick in slow motion and there was a dog and she kicked the dog and the dog went flying. Yeah. It's it, it, it's like it's it's just kind of, I think, a fundamental misunderstanding of why people like these kind of movies to begin with. But at the same I time, so. it, it, it whips complete ass. So maybe it, he was onto something with this there, She is spin kicking an awful lot in this movie. Like, yeah, we'll get to it the, later, but the, there's like, when they're in the very tight, like sewer corridors, she's still spin kicking zombies for some reason. Like it's just, yeah, I, don't I, know. I don't remember what happens after this in the movie. I'll be it's honest. The, I remember the corridor scene, and I remember them leaving, and I remember she kills the uh, the sister zombie with a paperweight, that's, that's and it has next. like a flashback. Yeah, that's what that's what's next. So we cut to the um, cop dude, and he's like, he's in this office, which is one of the worst looking sets. Like the set design in this movie as you, a whole is pretty you bad. Said, you said this office looked like a set for a Brazzers video. It does. It has that like, like. It's supposed to be underground, right? As we know, but there's just like yeah. this backdrop of like the city of Toronto for some reason, like uh-huh. just like a poster like outside the fake windows. It just, it looks like a porn set. And so he's rummaging around here and he finds his sister's desk and he's looking through like whatever papers or whatever that she had. And then she you, you see like over his shoulder she's like walking towards him and he stands up and he's like oh my god, Lisa, it's you. And they have this, like, moment where she looks into his eyes before she, of course, tackles him and tries to eat him. And then she just drops dead because Mila, I guess, like, bashes her brains in with just a cube. Yeah. Um, and you meant you actually mentioned, speaking of cubes, like, you mentioned the movie Cube. Uh, oh, as yeah. We were watching it. And, it like, it the set design of this is very similar to Cube, right? Like, it's it very... Has, yeah, it, it's very, like, minimalist, like, beyond... Like, never going beyond exactly what this needs to convey visual information, right? Like, right. Yeah. I, I, I posited earlier when we were watching this, there is a, a, a shot that they continually reuse of, like, a... Um, a hallway with like three different ju- like like a hallway junction right there's three different hallways in this junction yeah. and i mentioned how in cube the entirety of cube was filmed with two cubes like that was the only set they had they just changed the lighting and changed what was inside of the cubes and a lot of this movie feels like they're just taking these hallways and shooting them from different angles with like different yeah. color palettes and and reusing the footage and um i i think this office bit 
for Umbrella being a, a mega corporation that has apparently, you know, tons of money, this is just like the shittiest insurance office ever, ever created, right? Right, um, right. We get a lot of flashbacks as Alice starts to remember what's happening. They all kind of look like the inside of an Evanescence music video, <laughs> yeah. like these very weird, uh, super overexposed, bright white and blue quick cuts of, of her remembering stuff. Um, the What happens after this? Where do we go from this office bit? Because I have like one more note. Uh, my last note is that uh, this movie is really just kind of at its worst when it tries to do the uh, serious plot stuff, like yes. this kind of espionage thriller, yeah. because you don't really care about it at all. It means nothing. There's no payoff to it whatsoever. Uh, I, I just don't care for it, right? Like, this is not yeah. a bad movie. It's a really fun watch, but compared to the other ones, which are just... You can really just kind of turn your brain off and laugh at them. This movie does still expect you to keep up with this boring kind of <laughs> bullshit anti-corporate plot that it's got, so... Yeah, like, after she saves him here, they just have this extremely long sequence where he's just basically explaining the plot to her and this dude is really bad like there are tons of shots of him in this movie where he's just having to react to what's going on and all of the faces he pulls are just ridiculous and terrible you know like he just he he looks like seth green's older brother (laughs) like he's just he's a terrible actor with like just an inability to emote at all and he's really bad (laughs) he's really bad and this scene just really really drags uh a lot um so they manage to uh find their way back to michelle rodriguez uh the other two dudes i think there's two more yeah there's the nervous guy and there's not paul w sanderson uh, those are the, the three other survivors. And so they all manage to get back together somehow. And they go into the sewer <laughs> of yeah. this underground, yeah. like, lair that ma- must be, like, thousands of feet deep <laughs> under the Earth's crust at this point. <laughs> like, they're on the seabed at this point in the sewer. Yeah. Um, because the, so- uh, because the, uh, judging by the wireframe map, right? Yeah. The, um, the Red Queen Chamber and the Dining Hall are, like, 2,000 feet underground. So not, like, horrifically, but how much deeper can you go than that? Like, why are there sewers that far underground? Yeah, yeah. And, and somewhere somewhere along here, Alice has, rem- has remembered or realized that there is an antivirus, which is what they're trying to get basically i think that's why she goes into the um it is it's why she goes into the like kennel room because that's like connected to the flooded um, oh sure sure remember that's where she kicks the the dog into basically Uh um and so yeah they're, they're walking around in these sewers where of course zombies show up and there's this one zombie that shuffles towards alice which is very tall uh just just tall enough that she can jump up hang from her hands from a pipe and break its neck with her thighs yep Mm -hmm. and just i i think that i believe that's a thing that's actually stolen from a resident evil game oh is Um, it 
or or it might actually be that they put it into one of the like side Resident Evil games because of this. There is de- there is definitely a sequence in one of the one of the light gun Resident Evil games where Jill like in a in a cutscene kills a zombie with her thighs so i'm i'm not <laughs> sure which which stole it from which because they would have been both around the same time yeah. um so yeah the zombies come uh the anxious guy gets bitten here michelle rodriguez gets a few more chunks taken out of her uh they somehow climb up onto a pipe and they're like crawling along uh and they, they get into a vent the anxious guy is like the last one there and the the like pipe that they're crawling on breaks uh and the zombies are like crawling up the pipe and he's like i've already been bitten just go just go or whatever and he has one bullet left in his gun and he's like trying to get them to leave so he can commit suicide uh and there's this one zombie that's really like climbing up and, and is and should by now be snacking on him but isn't and so they leave and he puts the gun in his mouth and it cuts to alice you hear the gunshot and then it cuts back to him and he's after shooting the zombie in the face and he's like, he has his bravery moment and so it implies that he's going to get eaten here. So now we're down to uh, not Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, Mila, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, and Cop Dude. And at some <laughs> point, at some point, I think they get split. No, they don't get split off. He... It gets revealed that not Paul W.S. Anderson was a traitor all along, right? Because they get to where the antivirus is and he steals it and, like, heads to leave by himself, basically. Yeah. Um, And he's been bitten at this point as well, so... He somehow gets out onto, like, where the train is while they're in the lab that has the antivirus... Where the antivirus was kept, which is now flooded. Um... And Michelle Rodriguez is getting progressively sicker and she's about to turn. The Red Queen comes on a screen and is like, I'm locking you in here. I can't let you leave because Michelle Rodriguez is sick and she's going to spread this virus. And the antivirus probably wouldn't save her because it's been so late at this point. Um, And there's like a liquor that's trying to get in and is trying to like smash its way through. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez is desperately trying to get them to kill her so that they can be freed by the Red Queen. Uh, and you get this shot, this like slow motion shot of this axe that she's given Mila Jovovich to try and like kill her with. But instead Mila just hits the screen <laughs> with it and just like all the lights go off for some reason. And then it yeah. turns out that like... The door opens and it's oh it's the anxious dude and he's he shut off the power again somehow and because he had a he had a remote to do it which was what they were holding over the red queen right um but actually before that you see the dude who's now stolen the antivirus yeah on, like you see like it's... a surveillance clip that they're watching of oh, him oh yeah on, the, he, on he... the on the platform yeah he he gets got by the fucking meat monster or whatever yeah. uh the 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 liquor which which if anyone hasn't watched this or played the games it, it's like a big creature with like a exposed brain and a big tongue um yeah and it, it mutates into like it, it it kills him and like mutates into like this big like panther like a meat panther basically yeah. like sort of a 
sort of a more feral like like animal type type form i suppose yeah and it uh it, it kills him they watch it on the screen and then it fucks off and they're they're trying to kill her while it's trying to break in and then the dude fries the red queen and um they they leave and what like this this movie like it's a lot to it's a lot of fun watching it, but trying to recall like the beat by beat plot details, it's like in one ear out the other. I, I really yeah, uh, it's, I do not remember where this goes from here. They they, it, they escape. Like like they get on the yeah. they they just go to the train, right? Like they just leave. Yeah, pretty much. So at this point we're down to four nervous guy, cop guy, Mila and Michelle Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And so now Nervous Guy and Michelle Rodriguez have both been bitten, they're both sick. They're both hoping that this vaccine will cure them. There's a whole thing here. Uh, they have like a, a digital watch uh, with from a timer the future. that's expiring from the future. Yeah. Uh, and basically the idea is that if they don't shut down the hive and get out of there within a certain amount of time, which is a very Resident Evil thing. Um, yes. That basically they will be locked in here. Uh, it's like Umbrella's failsafe to prevent the spread of the virus from getting out any further. Uh, so they go to the cable car. Uh, Mila grabs the, the vaccine. Everybody gets into this cable car um, where there's just like this bag full of lead pipes just hanging from the <laughs> ceiling yeah. for, for no reason. Um, yeah. and so you can hi- it, it, it highlights when you mouse over it for some reason. Don't worry yeah. about it. Not important. Yeah. It won't yeah, come important. up later. Yeah. So the nervous guy starts the, the car up. Mila gives uh, Michelle Rodriguez the vaccine. The other dude gives uh, nervous guy the vaccine. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez is clearly dying here. She's giving you know Mila this big speech about how she wants her to do what's right when the time comes. And she basically dies here. And then this, like, super liquor just basically claws its way in to mm-hmm. the, the cable car. It pulls the nervous guy out, so he's dead. We're, we're never going to see him again. Uh, it scratches along the arm, the other dude. So now at this point, we've got him and Mila are the, are the alive ones as this liquor is trying to get in. Uh, the liquor eventually breaks down the door and gets in, but Mila uses the lead pipes to like impale its tongue into the like trap door on the bottom of the cable car and she's telling this dude to like open the trap door and he's trying to but then zombie michelle rodriguez stands up he shoots zombie michelle rodriguez in the head she falls back hits the switch that opens the trap door which basically murders the super liquor and they get out of the hive these two mila and this guy whose name i don't think we ever hear at all in the movie um yeah i the only indication we get of his name is i think when he shows his id card at the beginning yeah and that's fuck like it, it fuck if i remember what yeah. that shit said so they they get out of of the hive they get out of the the train station back into the mansion and as soon as they get into the mansion, oh, uh, this like, is this is incredible. So, so this yeah, is please. this is like this is the only part of this movie that interests me. After I would say the dog scene, they um 
they get it back up in the mansion. They go. It seems like they're about to have a very like tender, you know, emotional sort of exchange. Like, oh, we survived. They're like collapsed in like the entryway of this mansion. Then the dude's arm starts like growing worms out of it, and <laughs> like eight fucking has like like the door breaks open and the light of god spills through this doorway and like eight dudes in white hazmat suits with mirrored visors come in and start chattering about how they have to like get the virus and they're taking them and the guy looks at his arm he's like he's mutating i want him for the nemesis program so this this Mm -hmm. this schlub Mm -hmm. this fucking dunder mifflin looking asshole is who they are going to turn into nemesis for the uh, for the sequel yeah. hook here this it's, dude it, who is the same height as mila jovovich <laughs> yeah the 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 incredibly imposing uh, seven foot tall rocket launcher toting nemesis with the leather jacket not to uh, telegraph too much about next week but he's basically like five eight and looks like he came from a from a spencer's gifts yeah. or a spirit halloween <laughs> Yeah. Oh God, they did my uh, boy so dirty in these movies. They did. They really like, did. I, I, I'll, I'll save most of this talk for next week. Like, I love Nemesis. I think he's one of my favorite monsters in any media, just, just sure. whatsoever. But like, they, it, it's really, really funny to see how badly they bungle that in Apocalypse. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's quite humorous. So. Yeah. Whenever I watch this movie, I always assume that it ends at this bit with them getting taken by the hazmat people, but there is a little bit more after this, right? There is, yeah. And there's a moment here where she's fighting off the hazmat people that I always think is very funny because I I never know whether it's a gaffe or whether it's just, like, (laughs) intentional, but one of the hazmat guys just falls into this, like... um, what do you call it? You know the thing, like an IV, IV like, drip. Like, yeah, like the IV drips. Yeah. He just like knocks into it. And yeah, he it like over. stumbles over. It's, it's pretty. It's good. really funny. Um, but yeah, so she wakes up in hospital. She is wearing uh, a piece of tissue paper. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's got this like. Um, she she's fully nude and she has all these wires coming out of her head. But what she's wearing is like two like like just a sheet of paper across her front and a sheet of paper on her back yeah. and and i don't know if that's like legitimate hospital attire right like i don't I know don't if that's something is. you actually put on someone when they're being examined but it's it's really dire <laughs> yeah like it there, there's nothing on the sides so you can still see everything like it's very like this whole franchise is very male gazy but this is one of the big like moments yeah. of it like um, and so she wakes up and she's in tremendous pain because there's wires sticking into her head, um, which she pulls out and she sort of stumbles around, finds this hypodermic needle that's covered in blood, which she uses to pick a keycard lock in this hospital room <laughs> Yeah. Um, that she stumbles out of and the hospital is empty. She stumbles out into the street uh wearing just a lab coat that she pulls off and this like piece of paper and the entire streets of the city of uh toronto ontario canada are just destroyed basically there's cars everywhere we get more romero ripoff shots here of like yeah there's a newspaper that says the dead walk which i think is also taken directly from day of the dead if i'm remembering right um and so she's stumbling around the this like deserted city block for a bit. 
she finds a cop car with a loaded shotgun in it that she pulls out and then Slipknot starts playing. <laughs> yeah, there's this there's this shot which was almost certainly the most expensive shot in the whole movie yes. where the camera pulls out and then there's the street that's just covered in wrecked cars and all that. So how do we ever get do we ever get like a a number like like a like a time on how long she was in that hospital for because the way the movie is paced it makes it seem like this this you know uh, eponymous apocalypse broke out basically in the span of like two hours which i think it does in the next movie it does, like it all happens yeah. in like three hours yeah the, the the thing is that we'll get to this next week but like this this last sequence of the movie is the opening of apocalypse but apocalypse like the timeline of apocalypse is all kind of fucked up because she comes out of the hospital and the place is destroyed but as we see for the first few minutes after that of apocalypse everything is just starting to go crazy so it's kind of like it's hard to grok where exactly in the time everything is but really it is a matter of hours um from the time that she leaves the hospital to or really it's from the time she gets captured again to like the point in time where apocalypse takes place basically uh-huh. um and so and yeah slipknot brings us to the credits um of this of this movie which is i would say of these six movies i would say it's it's not the most competently made one, but it is the closest to a real movie of the uh, of the yeah, series. I would say. I think um, I think this one largely gets by for me on just how dated it is. Like I think a lot yeah. of the charm of it comes from, you know, the Marilyn Manson soundtrack ending with like the the gut punch of Slipknot here at the end. Yeah, and um, you've never seen you've never seen his pre resident evil movies right you've never seen event horizon no but i've seen i've seen avp okay yeah this is like it's very par for the course for him i would say like if you watched event horizon which is a very derivative film I, i i do like event horizon well enough i think it's a fine movie but Event Horizon is basically like Alien plus The Shining plus Hellraiser in space, right? Like sure. it's it's extremely derivative of those films. So if you said to me that Paul W.S. Anderson is making a Resident Evil movie uh, and Slipknot's going to be on the soundtrack, I'd be like, yeah, that tracks. Like I'm not surprised that it's sure. basically ripping Day of the Dead and, you know, a few a few other things here and there. Um where where would you rank this in in the canon of these films because i think for me it is like out of 6 probably if you're doing it backwards number number 4 right it's not as yeah. um i think it depends on how we feel about extinction and apocalypse this time around yeah. which always kind yeah. of waver for me a bit but i i i think it's bottom bottom 3 out of 6 for me yeah, I th- I think it's yeah, like I feel like the first 3 movies are all of a similar quality at least in the sense that if you if you said oh I like this one over this one I wouldn't, you know, argue the point, yeah. you know, like I sure. like, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go to bat for any of the first 3 over any I of the other ones I don't know. I, I... 
I would maybe say Extinction is better than Apocalypse in this one. I um, I, yeah, I, I would it, tend to say that Extinction is certainly the most competently made, but it also has some absolutely like just wild shit in it that like you know. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it's got a lot of Pepsi in it. Um, like, you know, <laughs> like it's it it just yeah I I yeah maybe maybe I would say Extinction is probably probably a little bit above the first two but uh, extinction for me is just where like the cracks start to show in this bullshit yeah. right like 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 there's a little bit of it in apocalypse but you, you not not to spoil anything too much but you get one of the the stupidest character names in any franchise ever in extinction you yeah, get um you, you 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 get the first introduction of a character who will immediately be recast as someone much better at playing that character. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna cast too far out to the future, right, for a couple weeks because I do wanna like sit down with Apocalypse because for a while people considered Apocalypse to be the worst of these movies, right? People Yeah. I don't think people liked Apocalypse a lot, but now I would say final chapter, the last one, is far and above the the dirt worst yeah. of these six films. Final chapter is definitely the worst of them. Um, I think the thing with Apocalypse is it's forgettable compared to the other ones. Yeah. Like there, are, there, are, there are a handful of really over-the-top sequences in that movie that we'll get to next week. But mm-hmm. really, like when when I do my like monthly searches or of like the resident evil film discourse or whatever as i'm like digging around in there i feel like the only thing anybody ever remembers about apocalypse is the guy with the weird the, like australian hat mm-hmm. uh nemesis and jill like it's those yeah. three things are like and and one particular action sequence involving yeah. uh, the CN Tower, um, and I think, like, yeah, it it just it just doesn't stand out, uh, Apocalypse. But I also think, I don't know. I feel like we we'll we'll have to watch it again because I feel like my yeah. opinion on it changes every time I watch it. I I think just like to 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 kind of wrap up the Apocalypse talk here for me, it's a movie where. The highlights are pretty outrageous, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff in that yeah. movie that starts getting into just completely bonkers territory. But just the beat by beat stuff and the plot is it, it expects you to follow is anywhere from like boring to completely incomprehensible. So, yeah. I, uh, I I like this first Resident Evil movie. I would say I enjoy all of these except for probably Final Chapter. Uh, yeah. This one, I think, if we're if we're gonna rate this. Five vaccine vials. Uh, if we're gonna rate this out of five vaccine vials, right? I'm gonna mm-hmm. give this like probably a three, right? Like a three yeah. out of five. It is a, yeah. It is a movie that you can watch and sit down, and sort of have like a dumb popcorn movie night without getting what we get out of it, which is to say, being obsessed with this franchise, right? Like yeah. even if you're not obsessed with this franchise. This is a good movie to like watch on a Discord call uh, with friends or whatever, and just kind of laugh at it, you know. And yeah, um, I, I think for me that charts as a solid uh, three out of five, sixty percent, right? Yeah, I, I think it's a movie that had the rest of the franchise not materialized, people would look back on it and be like, "That was totally fine." 
You know, yeah. it's, it, it is in in the canon of video game movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you if if you were to take them like and judge them on competency and just are they movies? This is definitely towards the higher end. One of the better ones. One Out- of the better ones. Outside of the Resident Evil franchise, what are what are some of your favorite video game movies? Like, give me a top two, maybe a top three. Uh, the 2018 Tomb Raider, I would say. Okay, um, that's probably that's probably the best one. That's like by any stretch, like any metric, a decent blockbuster <laughs> popcorn flick. Okay, you know, like it's, sure, it's it's above average as a popcorn flick. It's fine. It's like a it's a real movie. Um, after that, it really does get murky. I kind of dips. Have, yeah, I have I have a lot of love in my heart for um, the original Street Fighter movie, even though it's bad. I um, I that's gonna be my number one with a bullet. I think that movie is incredible. It's so much yeah. fun. It's it's a fun movie. Um, after that, it it really is just the drizzling shits. Like <laughs> like I I watched Blood Rain recently, which also has Michelle Rodriguez in it. Uh huh. And woof, let me tell you, that fucking movie is. I don't think I had ever good. heard of those games before. You told me you would watch that. To be honest, it was uh, it was a, it was a weirdly popular series about a sexy female vampire around the time that underworld was like a thing uh-huh. uh and uva bowl uh made a yeah. series a series of films based on it which wow. as I understand it, were all bad uh, i only watched the first one and it was rough uh-huh. very rough like not like not like fun to watch like just rough mm-hmm. i think as far as like video game movies that are worth watching because they're so bad that they become fun um mm-hmm. i actually think the king of fighters movie is a lot of fun it's terrible but okay. it's so it's so hammy and so cheesy the main character like there's the main character of king of fighters is a character named kyo kusanagi he's played by a white guy in the movie except <laughs> for the flashbacks except uh-huh. for the flashbacks where he's played by a little japanese boy love that um, okay yeah like that's the level it's it's operating on ray Sounds... park who played um darth, darth maul, maul is the bad guy mm-hmm. in that and he's just chewing scenery like you wouldn't believe it's a terrible movie but it's i may have to watch that watchable. i didn't it's i didn't realize watchable. that existed to be honest um Another thing I forgot to mention is that our boy Paul did do the Mortal Kombat film. He did. That's another good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. That's I a, think I think one. that movie is okay. I'll be honest. I don't yeah. love it, but it's been a while since I've seen it. I think um, I think for me, Street Fighter is definitely number one. Uh, that movie is incredible. It is. It's like Gremlins two for me, where it's just like a live action cartoon, and it sure. being it being related to Street Fighter is fairly auxiliary to to just watching it. I I know a lot of bad movie aficionados like the Mario Bros movie quite a bit. Yeah. I I don't I it's it's okay. It's something I revisit every now and then, but it but it it's had diminishing returns for me, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I do really think Raul Julia in um the Street Fighter movie is one it's of the best godly. performances. It he... is an incredible performance. Like you get him, you get Jean Claude Van Damme uh you you get those those two chuckle fucks that play ken and ryu and all that yeah. like it really is just 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 sublime it's it's, it's, it's a whole great. lot of fun it's great 
what what else do we want to talk about with Resident Evil? I feel like we front loaded a lot of the uh, thematics talk, right? Like kind of um, yeah, where this where this franchise goes and that sort of thing. Um, I I, I want to ask this as we go forward. I think this is a pretty easy question: Is this movie better or worse than Borat? Oh, it's better. Yeah, easily easily better. <laughs> It's it's so much better than Borat. Like yeah, it's yeah, totally. Not not even close. I would one hundred times out of one hundred times, if given the choice between the two, I'm going with Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like we said, this uh, uh, this movie is good. It's fun. I I recommend it. I recommend watching the whole franchise if you want to. Yeah. Right, like that's my kind of big yeah. recommendation. But um, even then, you know, it's it's enjoyable. It's good enough. It's like you said, if they hadn't made any more of these, I think people would be, like, okay with this film. Like, it, like it references totally. the games enough, and it's not completely off-base, and it there's stuff that you can laugh at, and as Paul said, uh, stuff you can cheer in the theater at, I would say. Like, when Chief Roundhouse kicks so. that dog, that's a, that's a hell of a moment right there. It is. It is. It's got, you know an iconic moment in there with the laser hallway it's it's got a soundtrack that if you were if you were 12 years old in <laughs> in 2002 you probably loved it's it, it 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 is such a fun cultural artifact of its time of of something that was presumably written in the late 90s and they came out on this on the silver screen like yeah because originally romero was going to make this movie right he like was, he, he had yeah. written an adaptation and i think he the big scuttlebutt about it was that it was an r-rated film and they wanted it to be not r-rated yeah. but this movie is r-rated isn't it or is this there's no um, way this is pg-13 it's too violent i i couldn't tell you uh because over over here at least it was rated eighteen, um, uh-huh. I believe. So I I can't tell you what it was in the U.S. It but, probably uh, was rated R, which is the seventeen, the seventeen and up. Yeah, he. I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. Romero wanted something that was much more violent or maybe, you know, practical looking. Yeah, than this, which is this is kind of a cartoon in a lot of ways. You know, I think I think it's interesting to kind of to kind of suss that out, right? Because the Resident Evil games are like B games, right? Like they're like, it's a very popular franchise, but the tone of those games tends to take a lot from B movies, right? Yes. So it's really interesting to see that, that same kind of idea taken and refracted back into another B movie, you know, like, like, like a kind yeah. of kaleidoscope. And, um, you really only get that with the first two, because as we said, they, <laughs> they really go off the rails by they the do. end. But, um, I, I, I think his take on it would have been, pretty interesting i have to imagine it would have been more horror oriented you know because this movie plays with like i guess the aesthetics of horror here and there but never really engages with the material as like a horror text so to speak like it never um Mm -hmm. aside from the fake out jump scares it never really tries to build an atmosphere Uh, it never really uses any of like the visual or auditory language of like a horror film uh, the, 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 mo- the scariest thing I can think of in this is that there is a few moments of sound design that are like straight out of Silent Hill 2, which I think are, is kind of cool. Like not intentionally, yeah. right? But there's, um, 
Uh, I'll, I'll just come out and say that I'm a freak on this podcast. Uh, I listen to the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack a lot. Like, um, it's not just one of my favorite soundtracks. It's one of my favorite, like, albums, hands down, ever. But, um, like, there is um, stuff in this movie that sounds exactly like what they do in that with, like, the metal scraping and the ambient dissonance that only somebody who was <laughs> familiar with that soundtrack would be able to recognize. Yeah. So kind of a kind of a fun thing there. But, um... I don't know how much else I have to say about this, to be honest. Uh, how do we feel? Let's let's do... Okay, let's do a, a scale rating on Mila's outfits in these films, because that okay, is something sure. that gets progressively more and more bananas as these go. Yes. On a scale, on a scale of 1 to 10 on the Mila-ometer, where do we rank the red cocktail dress with the combat boots? I think it's pretty high up for me. I think it's a. I think it's a good look. Um, I I would probably put this in around a seven or an eight. It is okay. Yeah, I was gonna say a six or a seven. So so up in that kind of upper echelon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, more definitely more over halfway. Keeping in mind what we have in the in the in the following yeah, films, where it's gonna go. Um, I give I, this I one think... a seven. I'll give this one a seven. Yeah, let let's go with a seven there. I think it is distinctive it it makes her visually stand out as a character she's the only character that visually stands out in this entire <laughs> yeah. movie everyone else is dressed the same like um yeah there's all her, the tactical gear yeah all the tactical gear and then the other two dudes one has a blue shirt and a leather jacket and one has a blue shirt so you yeah. know not 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 great yeah and and i think it's you know it's Again, like, I don't want to say the word iconic too many times, but when I think about Resident Evil, I think about, like, you know, th th that poster is very distinctive of her with the gun and the red cocktail yeah. dress and the, and the combat boots. It's a very, uh, like, distinct image. It gives you an idea immediately of who the character is, of what the movie is. Like, I think it it fits with what everything is going on in this movie is. So, yeah, yeah, I think yeah it's totally. On the higher end. This is a... This, I would say, uh, is probably the only movie where the production designer had some idea of what they were doing. Because by the time we get to Extinction, that movie looks like all the clothes were taken from like a Goodwill and just cobbled together. It's uh, one of those pockets of astounding incompetence that runs through this franchise. But um, for now, really, really solid look from Mila here. I think the only... Um, this and Apocalypse are the only two films where she's blonde, right? The other ones, she yeah. has her natural hair color, I think. I think I think she might be a little dirty blonde in Extinction. She might still have a little bit of it, but mm -hmm. yeah, these, these first two, she's she's definitely blonde. Yeah, um, I I feel like we're I feel like we're kind of winding down on this one. This is a this is a fun movie, but I don't know if it kind of incites the same enthusiasm as an afterlife or a retribution is going to do in us, right? No, absolutely not. Like, I feel like this whole endeavor is more or less trying to get to that fourth and fifth movie, and especially <laughs> it that really fifth is. It really, really is. Like, this is I, all preamble. I feel like anyone who keeps up with this that hasn't seen those films yet is going to, like just listen to us really hype them up like really juice them in these uh these first three episodes but like i i cannot overstate the emotional impact that uh, afterlife and retribution had on me especially as like a one-two punch of film it is yeah. it is just like the pinnacle of, of self-indulgent hd 
like 3D slop cinema and it's it's incredible. Like like from the first from the first moment of Afterlife, you know that everything before it is just like foreplay to get to that moment. Like it is yeah, exactly. those those movies are a capital S statement by Paul Anderson and um I I'm just really excited to get to them. But um hey, you should watch these other ones too because they're pretty fun. This is a fun they movie. Are. Uh, I'm a little worn out, but I had a great time watching it. To be totally honest, I uh, the the zoom at the beginning is is all time. So the so uh, the slow motion guns, just the the dog roundhouse kick, a lot of great moments in this. So so this gets the uh, this this gets my uh, seal of approval. If that wasn't obvious <laughs> enough already, yeah, ab- absolutely does. I think most of these will get a seal of oh, approval. Yeah. At, yeah, totally. At least at least four of them, probably five of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it really is at this point. I think these first three weeks are really just us building up to uh, mm-hmm. to the real good shit that we're gonna get to in time here. Uh, but yeah, that is, I think gonna do it for this first episode of resident evil club the getting first... our footing getting our footing in a yeah. post a post uh you know uh unnamed man world uh yeah kind of figuring out what we're gonna do with this show going forward in terms of the uh i don't know it's weird sitting down to talk about something where we're not obsessively picking apart every like scrap detail week by week and just kind of uh yeah watching movies like normal people here so uh and and it's weird to watch something that we enjoy and get to talk about it and like you know like i'm sure for people who are listening to this who listened to us suffer for the last uh year and especially our last episode which was just the worst heinous heinous um like i'm I'm sure there's a noticeable difference in just vibe and energy um but it it really is like we we made a promise at some point over the past few months that we would not watch these movies independently of each other until yeah we we got to this point where we could sit down and really like talk about them and i just it's it's comforting like it's it, it is. feels like i'm home it feels like um, these are these know. are comfort movies for me they really are they like are. like i watched um i watched uh, who framed roger rabbit again uh yesterday mm-hmm. that is that's a great comfort movie for me i think it's great uh, we should do roger rabbit club and just have a single episode about <laughs> roger rabbit that'd be fun yeah yeah be better than than some of the things we've done yeah but yeah like i mean i i i know these movies are not great from an objective you know film criticism standpoint or whatever Uh uh-huh but i love these movies a lot like they they truly are more than just like a simple nostalgia thing for me like i i genuinely have gone from like having this weird like I'm so into this because I'm 14 years old and it's the mid 2000s or whatever uh-huh. to like having a whole new appreciation for them as an adult, like just the ridiculousness. And... There's so much to pick apart. It's like I said, yeah. you, you can just sit there and dissect these movies. I know this one was like a really kind of a beat by beat plot kind of thing, you know, where we talked about some stuff, but like as they go, like every decision they make in these movies becomes head, like just, head spinning after a point uh and you really do get to like sit and appreciate it and puzzle it out while also being fairly entertained i'd say i i I really uh 
it's like it, it's like we said if he is a populist man a populist filmmaker these movies uh, achieve the goal of being extremely entertaining i'd say yeah yeah they set out they set out with a mission and they accomplish it every time pretty yeah. much except for the last one and yeah i mean I, I genuinely love them i can't wait to watch more of them um and yeah i think ryan we're about done for resident evil <laughs> i think so yeah um please join us again next week for uh, resident evil apocalypse but until then ryan you have another show that you like to do sometimes on the internet uh-huh. uh, where can people find that yeah, you can find my other show, uh, Emoji Drome, on your various podcasting applications or on Twitter at Emoji Drome. We haven't updated in a bit just because I've been moving and I haven't had my recording equipment for a while, but we're going to get back to that. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at CurseGoat, and if you want to follow my Letterboxd, where I talk about everything I watch, uh, that is at Sewer Peak, I believe, P-E-A-K. How about you, Niall? Uh, I do video game stuff at videogamechoochoo.com. Podcasts, articles, videos, reviews, all that kind of stuff is up there. Uh, I don't have a personal Twitter, but I am on Letterboxd uh, at emochrist, E-M-O-C-H-R-I-S-T. Uh, if you want to read my reviews of movies up there. Um, bo- bah, I almost said the first <laughs> name. <laughs> uh, mm, we, we, we do not... We, we, we do have a show Twitter... Uh, our at is going to remain for the time being at Borat Club. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, we we don't we didn't want to change everything too quick, but for now it's still at Borat Club. Um, and you can email us at boratclubcast at gmail That stuff may change in the future, uh, but you know we we kind of wanted to keep some stuff there for now, and you know we'll slowly transition everything over. Yeah. Um, but we totally want to hear your thoughts on good movies this time around the Paul W S Anderson verse. If you have some thoughts on Resident Evil, we'd love to hear them. Um, if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend uh leave us a like a uh, review a rating wherever you get your podcasts we very much appreciate it because we don't advertise the show anywhere we aren't part of a network so if everybody who listened and enjoyed it uh told somebody that would be a huge boon to us and we very much appreciate it um so until next week when we are visiting the streets of toronto canada with the most Toronto-ass Toronto movie ever made, <laughs> Resident Evil Apocalypse. A movie that Scott Pilgrim wishes it could be. <laughs> um, until then, have a good week, and we'll see you soon. See you soon.